0: I would like to welcome all those joining us online today. I'm Pastor Zach, if you're new to the church. My wife, Shelly, was up here before. We're the lead pastors of this great group of people called Connection Point Church. Uh, And we're glad to be back. Thanks for, as Shelly shared, um, being okay with us to be gone. Pastor Jim shared a great word last week on unity. If you weren't here for it, you can find it online. Uh, But man, what a great word as we head into the fall, as we head into a a new season. um, Every year, as we head into August, it's kind of a a time to, to regroup for the new year. Um, Shelly and I, if you're new to the church, uh, maybe you would know that we had before coming here, spent some time overseas. Uh, we first went to Sudan and to Africa and then to Jerusalem. And in our time as we left for Sudan, um, Sudan was an interesting place. It's, it's very hot. It's desert-like there. The Sudanese people are some of the nicest that you will meet in the world. In fact, we have a Sudanese family in our church. I love to interact with them. Um, it's fun to see their smiles. They remind us of the, the great people we got to know there. Uh, but Sudan itself is, a, is an interesting environment. Electricity would cut in and out, um, face some challenging times there. So over the course of two years of our time, uh, electricity was an issue, water, of course, is an issue, heat, 120 degrees. We went camping on Friday with our Higher Adventure Connect group. I woke up Friday morning, and it was like 60, I said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I don't like to camp in the hot. <laughs> so it was an awesome day to go camping. 120 is hot, no matter which way you spin it. They're like, but was it dry heat? It's 120. It doesn't matter. I mean, really. It was hot. And so we were daily dealing with heat. I mean, like you would step out of the shower, start sweating until you got back in the shower again, you know, like it was just a nonstop uh, heat that we had to deal with. And it, it was debilitating sometimes. And so we dealt with struggle. Uh, one of, the, one of the, the memories I had as I was thinking about our time in Sudan just like going to work. Okay, so like for right now, for me, if it's schools and sessions, so we live in Wake Robin. I live in Wake Robin. I drive and drop my kids off at Klondike School, come down the road, come to Connection Point Church, and I go back to Wake Robin. Like, I live in like a couple mile radius here. It's, it's amazing. And that's an easy thing to do. But now like we were living in Sudan. Rainy season was August. It had rained. And where we lived, it was silt. So it didn't really soak into the ground very well. So it just made a muddy mess of everything. We had a a four-wheel drive truck, Toyota Hilux. It's kind of like a Toyota Tacoma. I love that truck. It was probably my favorite vehicle. It was a standard, had a a winch on the front, a big bull bar, the kind that if you're driving through Africa traffic, it's like, stay out of my way. You know, I'm going to win. It was a great vehicle. But I was in that truck, and we're headed out. Shelly was with me. Nate was with me. Uh, Nate was probably one or two. I forget at that point how old he was. And he's in the car, and I'm trying to get out in four-wheel drive, It got stuck. It's hard to get a four-wheel drive truck stuck in the mud, but this was bad mud. So we get stuck. This is just my way to go to work. Okay, so I'm I'm comparing coming to work here. I mean, I could walk across the street, very easy, to I'm trying to get to work in Africa. So I'm pulling out from, and we get stuck in the mud. So, but you know, we got a winch. I need to put that to use. So we unravel that whole thing. We wrap it around a cement telephone pole. I still don't know if that was real wise, but it was the strongest thing I could find, Um, so we put it on there. Were you driving or was I driving? I think you were driving. I was driving because I had to traipse through the mud to wrap the the hook around the the cement telephone pole, and so Shelly's in the car, so I'm, you know, I've got the the remote control for the winch, and I'm pulling the truck through the mud, and then we would try to get to the next one. Shelly would try to get out. I would jump in, try to move it, wouldn't move, so then I'd traipse to the next cement telephone pole, wrap it around, and I would pull it up again, so, you know, what typically should have been like a 15-minute drive to school, hour and a half later, I was, I was at school. So enough of those kind of experiences, and that wasn't every day, but it's like you had those kind of moments periodically spaced out. And after two years of living like that, by the time we came back, we came back to the U.S. for the birth of our daughter, Haley, um, I'll tell you what, I was wiped out. Um, I really, for the most part, I w- to be honest, I was done. I just kind of felt like, I don't know that I can do this. I don't know that I can live this life. Uh, if I'm honest, I really was in a place of distress. I remember at some point, and at, at this point, we're still m- plotting forward. God, we're going to plot on. Um, I tell you, my saving grace was was our abiding time that we had with Jesus in that time, allowing Him to do the work in us that He needed to do to bring us back to a place of productivity. Uh, but I remember even being in that place of distress, and had the thought, you know what? I don't know that I'm made for this life. I don't know that I can do this anymore. Uh, maybe I'll join the FBI. Like, where does that random thought come from? <laughs> but i tell you where that comes from. What I found is when you're living in a place of distress, in a place of discontent, you don't think straight. You really don't. Um, so that's, that's kind of my summary of where I was at in that moment. Like, who, who wants to join the FBI? I don't know. I, I'm sure it's a good job, but that's not something I really would want to do. And that may be a bit of an extreme example, but how many of you could say, you know, I've, I've been in a place of distress, of discontent? Maybe you're in that place now, a place of, of distress, of discontent, of discouragement. Maybe you're in a place of overwhelming debt. Um, it's not hard to get there. And what we're going to find in our scripture passage this morning is we're actually in good company. We find a lot of people in the Bible that, are, that start in that place, but the good news is Jesus doesn't mean for us to stay there. What we're going to find as we look in our passage this morning is that you can be mighty with Jesus. In fact, you're meant to be mighty with Jesus. But there's some things that sometimes we have to do as we we dive in and look at Scripture. As we follow Jesus, that's the passage we're in. We're in this section on following Jesus. So as we follow Jesus, we can be mighty with him. But to be mighty with him, sometimes there's things that we need to look at, areas in our life that we need to change so that we can be mighty with Jesus. So we're going to look at that this morning in Luke chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, uh, Pastor Jim said last week, he's like, I tried to work that in, it just didn't work right. Um, I said, man, just be yourself. And uh, but if you have your Bibles this morning, we'd love for you to open up and join us in Luke chapter six. I'm going to also invite you to stand for the reading of God's word, simply out of reverence that God gave His word to us, His instruction book for life. As I was driving down to go camping on Friday night uh, with our our Connect group, um, it was fun. I had Nate with me, so we always have conversations in the car, and it was so it's so great to relate to my kid. Look. This, this book right here, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's God's plan for your life. And what he's trying to say is this is the best life that you can live if you follow it. That really is what the Bible's all about. And so that's what we're walking through as we look at, at Luke, because we want to see, Jesus, how do you define life? How can I live the best life that you would have for me? And it's laid out here. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 6, reading verses 1 through 11 this morning.
1: On a Sabbath, while he was going through the green, grain fields, His disciples plucked and ate some of the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, and how he entered the house of God, and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. A man there whose right hand was withered, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? And after looking around at all of them, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus.
0: These very words of God may be seated this morning. So we're working through the New Testament book of Luke, and we're in this section on Follow Me. And we jumped into this section where Jesus is on the, the banks of the Galilee, and he's standing where the docks are in Capernaum, and he tells Peter, invites Peter, he asks him, Can you take me out in the boat? And so he takes him out, takes him out in a boat. And then uh, Peter, after um, he's been there, he's been fishing all night, hasn't caught anything, Jesus says, You know what? After he's done teaching, he says, Cast out your nets one more time. Peter listens. And he takes in the greatest catch that he's ever taken in. And Peter's amazed. He's astonished. He even says, Jesus, have, ha, depart from me for I am unholy. I am I, not worthy to be in your presence. But Jesus says, don't worry. And again, that's the entry point into the kingdom of God. We first have to recognize our need of a savior, that Jesus, I need you. I cannot heal myself. And he says, don't worry, now you're going to be catching men. You're going to be, instead of catching fish, you're going to be catching people and setting them free, liberating them from the life of slavery and bondage that they have without me. And then we move from that passage where Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And and exactly what Jesus said would happen does as they encounter a leprous person and they also encounter a paralytic. And at the end of that passage, what we see the people say is we've seen extraordinary things today as Jesus heals the paralytic man. And they experience the extraordinary by bringing their friend to Jesus. So we have this incredible invitation, an invitation to an extraordinary life. We know that we experience that extraordinary life as we bring people to Jesus. And then what happens next is we begin to walk through some passages on what it looks like. So we know we have this invitation, but how do we follow Jesus? And so the next passage is Jesus walks out from Peter's house where he's in Capernaum and heals that paralytic man, and he encounters Levi. And Levi, he knows who Jesus is. He has to. It's not that big of a town. He knows the miracles that have taken place. But Levi is not found in that group of people who witness extraordinary things. But Jesus, as soon as he gives that invitation, he says, Come follow me. Levi leaves everything. He leaves a very profitable uh, profession, and he follows after Jesus. And I know that there are people in your life who will never come into the church, but if given the invitation, if given the invitation, they'll respond. And that's what we have there, is that we understand that part of following Jesus is being a friend to sinners. And then we move from that passage after um, Jesus works with the paralytic, after he's invited Levi to follow him, we continued in the next passage, which I'm now off base. Where was the next one? We make him our all. This is where Jesus invites us to fast. He talks about the wedding and wedding guests. He talks about new garments and old garments. He talks about new wineskins and old wineskins. And one of the things that, after I'd shared that message from two weeks ago, talking about new garments, um, one of the, the people in our church, long-term members, our men's ministry director actually, he came forward and said, you know, as you were, uh, we were in our time of songs, the Lord really gave a word to me. He's like, and then you preached that message, and I realized I was supposed to share it. And he said, what I had was a picture of, you know, here we are, we live in a community of people who are dwelling in old, filthy rags, that life that we have in the world. He said, but yet we're offered a new garment as we enter into the kingdom of God. But what we find in this passage where Jesus talks about that he, you take new patches and try to patch old garments with them. i tell you the picture I had was how many people come into the church and they just take a patch. They're like, you know what, here's my baptism patch. I'm going to put that on my old garment. I'm going to take my I attend church every Sunday patch, put that on me. I'm going to take my I put money in the offering patch, wear that. So often we want to just kind of have this patchwork environment as opposed to taking off that old garment shedding it and saying jesus i want the new garment that you give i want to make you my all but that's what it means to follow jesus we follow jesus by making him our all and as we get into the passage here this morning what we're going to find is as we follow jesus we can be mighty with him and there's three reasons why we can the first reason is we can be mighty with jesus because this is how he sees you you can be mighty with Jesus because this is how he sees you. You know, you got to love Jesus. I don't know. I feel like the more I read Scripture, the more I read into some of what's going taken on here. So, you know, they're walking through the grain fields. The Pharisees, the people who are supposed to know the Old Testament well, gets asked by Jesus, haven't you ever read the Bible? Did you catch that as he was reading the Scripture? Haven't you ever read the Old Testament? Like, he's totally slapping him in the face. Haven't you people who propose to know everything? Haven't you ever read the Bible where David and his companions, they, they take the bread? So I love that about Jesus. He first smacks him in the face, and then he carries on with the rest of the message. He wants to wake him up to what he means here. But I want to look at who Jesus is talking about. Who are these companions of David? Because we need to understand that narrative to understand this passage. So I'm going to read from 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verses 10 to 14. These are the companions of David. It says, These are the leaders of David's mighty warriors. Together with all Israel, they decided to make David their king, just as the Lord had promised concerning Israel. He is the, here is the record of David's mightiest warriors. The first was Jashobeam the Hakmonite, who was a leader of the three. The mightiest warriors among David's men. He once used his spear to kill 300 enemy warriors in a single battle. Next in the rank among the three was Eleazar, son of Dodai, a descendant of Ahoha, he was with David when the Philistines gathered for battle at Pastamin and attacked the Israelites in a field full of barley. I love that. Full of, why do we need that? Full, a field full of barley. Okay. <laughs> Israelite army fled, but Eleazar and David held their ground in the middle of the field and beat back the Philistines. So the Lord saved them by giving them a great victory. Notice how the writer, the chronicler, he wants us to understand that these guys are almost mythic. I mean, they're legendary. They're epic. I want to keep going. I'm going to skip down to verse 20. It says, Abishai, the brother of Joab, was the leader of the 30. He once used his spear to kill 300 enemy warriors in a single battle. It was by such feats that he became as famous as the three. Abishai was the most famous of the 30 and was their commander, though he was not one of the three. There was also Benaniah, son of Jehodiah, a valiant warrior from Kabzeel. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. Another time on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. Once armed with a club, he killed an Egyptian warrior who was seven and a half feet tall and who was armed with a spear as thick as a weaver's beam. Benaniah wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. Deeds like these made Benaniah as famous as the three mightiest warriors. He was more honored than the other members of the 30, though he was not one of the three. And David made him captain of his bodyguard. So when Jesus talks about David and his companions, that's who he's talking about. I mean... You know that Jewish boys grew up with these bedtime stories, absolutely, no doubt. And I I love how um, um, they include, you know, details like on a snowy day, because you know when I kill lions on a snowy day, much harder, right? I mean, I love those details as you read through these things. It's amazing. But this, these are the people that that, they, uh, that Jesus is referring to. He's referring to these mighty, mighty people, and so to good Jewish disciples, these Jewish boys, they know these stories and they know them well. So what we find in Luke chapter six, Jesus and his disciples, they're walking through the grain fields, they're plucking off the heads of grain, and the disciples know it's a the Sabbath. They're breaking the strict law of Jewish tradition. The the Pharisees are going to call him out on it, but they feel like, well, I'm in good company. I'm with Jesus, and I'm hungry, so this is what I'm going to do. And then Jesus responds, have you ever read what David and his companions did? Now, we had gone through the lineage of Jesus earlier in the year, but what we found in that passage is Jesus is referring to David and his companions. Who is Jesus in this narrative? Who is he referring to? Who, Who does he mirror in that comparison? David. Jesus is a descendant of King David. So what does that mean for his disciples? Who are his disciples in this comparison? Those mighty men. You know those disciples in that moment are like, I could kill a lion. All of a sudden they get puffed up like, that's how Jesus views me? What an uplifting thing for these guys. They begin to see themselves through the lens by which Jesus sees them as mighty men capable of accomplishing incredible things. And this is how he sees everyone in this room. That's the takeaway for us this morning. As you are with Jesus, he sees you as mighty. You may not see yourself as mighty, but that's how Jesus sees you. He understands that you are mighty with him. But that is the catch. We have to be with Jesus. You really don't hear a whole lot about these mighty men, these champions of David, before they link themselves with David. For us to be mighty, it starts by linking ourselves with him. We have to first accept that invitation to follow Jesus for us to live mighty in his name. So the question this morning is, have you done that? Have you truly made Jesus your all? We talked about that two weeks ago. The starting point to be mighty with Jesus is you first have to be with Jesus. So if you're here today and you've not made that decision to follow Jesus, I would plead with you. Live the mighty life that you can live by making a decision to follow Jesus today. Don't walk out of this place without the potential of living the mighty life that you're called to in his name. Jesus believes that you are capable of greatness, but you're mighty in God's eyes as you're with him. And the second point this morning is that you can be mighty with Jesus because he is Lord of the Sabbath. He says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Pharisees are traveling with Jesus. They notice his disciples plucking grains off the stalks in the field. And they call him out on it. And why? Because what we find in Exodus, there is one of the Ten Commandments. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And according to Jewish tradition, the disciples have multiple violations. In that moment, they're reaping the grain. They're threshing. They're winnowing. They're harvesting, so they're breaking all kinds of rules simply by plucking those off and rubbing them in their hands. When we were with our group in Israel, um, our guy that was with us, we walked by kind of a wheat field. He's like, hey, he told me. He said, go in that wheat field. And so I stepped in there. He's like, now take and pluck off and rub in your hands. I'm like, I know where this is going. <laughs> he was talking about the scripture passage. So that's what they did is they were, according to Jewish tradition, breaking law. But honoring the Sabbath, let's look at where it came before Exodus, it comes from the example of God in creation as recorded in Genesis in the first book of the Bible. And here's what it says there. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. God rested from all his work that he'd done in creation. So Sabbath is about blessing because God blessed that day. He made it Holy. And really, the essence of Sabbath is unity. And this is what I want you to take away today as we talk about Sabbath. The essence of Sabbath is unity. That's what it really is referring to. It's unity with God and a focus upon his blessings. That's what Sabbath really is. For Jews, the Sabbath was to be celebrated on Saturday, which is the very end of their work, uh, work week, uh, Shabbat. So like we just were in Israel with a bunch of people, and on Saturdays, the greeting is Shalom Shabbat, because they're going to celebrate uh, Sabbath, they're going to celebrate Shabbat. Uh, and they still celebrate it very strictly to this day. So, like, if you're traveling with somebody, like, they can't push elevator buttons because that's work. There's all kinds of, of rules and regulations that regulate Shabbat. Uh, when we were there, we had gone up with uh, a number of the church leaders up to a place called uh, Nevi Samuel. And we were driving back to get to the city center. And as we were doing that, I was following another car while it wound up leading us through some ultra Orthodox neighborhoods on Saturday. Uh, And I told Shelly, I'm like, we need to gas it and get out of here. Because they usually partition off those roads because you can't drive through Jewish neighborhoods on a Saturday. They'll throw rocks at your car because you can't drive on Saturdays. It's work. Um, So you don't want your car to get rocks thrown at it. Don't drive through a Jewish neighborhood on Saturday. Uh, Thankfully, we made it. No rocks were thrown. um, But I was nervous. That was probably the only time I was nervous the whole time we were there. Uh, But we did make it out. So Shabbat, so Sabbath is taken seriously. And that's what the Pharisees are talking about. But what was interesting is for Christians, Sabbath moved from Saturday to Sunday, and it moved to Sunday because that was the day of Jesus' resurrection. So what Sabbath celebrates, or what we celebrate as Christians in Sabbath, is that we are united with God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we celebrate that with believers around the globe on Saturday or on Sundays. So as we celebrate the Sabbath, we're celebrating unity with God because of Jesus' death and resurrection, and we celebrate unity, togetherness with one another as we all come together in his name. So that's what Sabbath is all about in Christianity. It's about unity. Uh, Historically, this is something I thought was interesting. Sunday remained a work day until 321 AD when it was declared by the church that the official Christian Sabbath would be on a Sunday. Sunday. Uh, something that was interesting to note though when you look at the beginnings of our nation they actually went back and forth as far as which day would be the day off of work some wanted to maintain the jewish uh, day of saturday some wanted to maintain the christian day of sunday and so the compromise was we'll take them both that's how we got our two-day weekend so you can thank somebody for that that's where that came from but sabbath is more than having a weekend free from work Sabbath rest is not about a list of rules to follow, a list of things you should not do in order to have rest from work. The Sabbath law was meant to remind people to rest and enjoy God. It's going back to the be still and know that I am God. That's what Sabbath rest is meant to be. Not to shackle them from serving others to prevent basic needs from being met. That's not Sabbath. The law seeks to encourage righteousness and healthy involvement with other people. Again, Jesus summarizes the law with love God and love people. Well, how do we love God? We come together to say, Jesus, we celebrate your resurrection. And we come together unified fashion to say, Jesus, we celebrate you together, that we're a part of the family of God. Sabbath is experienced through the unity we have with God and all of the people around us. Sabbath is setting a day aside where we come together to rest in our secure position as children of God, as followers of Jesus. So we set aside a day to remember who we are in him and the unity that we have together in him. I thought that was great that Pastor Jim shared that message on unity last week. That's exactly what Sabbath is all about. It's about coming together and being unified as the church. So Sabbath is about unity with God and others. But Sabbath also includes rest. But what I'd like to challenge you is on your thoughts this morning related to Sabbath rest. Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. So my question for you this morning is, where do we find our ultimate Sabbath rest? Where do we find it? In Jesus. Our Sabbath rest is found in Jesus. It's found as we pursue his presence in communion, as we sing songs about him, as we give, because that's the example we have in Jesus who gave it all. But we also celebrate and have Sabbath rest as we abide in him daily. This is why I really try to drive that home. You should be starting every morning resting in jesus you should have sabbath with jesus every day for you to live as a mighty warrior in his name you need the sabbath rest that only he can provide on a daily basis because if you're just holding on for sunday and you're skirting through the week hoping that sunday will lift you back up to be mighty you're not going to make it you need a daily refreshing a daily rest in jesus to be able to continue moving forward as mighty in his name So I would challenge you, tomorrow morning when you wake up, if you don't have a regular time to be with Jesus, take 15 minutes. 15 minutes can make an incredible difference in your week. If you did 15 minutes a day, it would make an incredible difference. Read one chapter out of the Bible. Find time to pray. If you have a drive to work, turn off the radio and just take that as time to pray. Maybe play some worship music, sing some songs to Him. Find time in your day. If you're moving from one place to another, Find time to daily abide in him all through your day. It doesn't have to be restricted to a certain time block, but you need to abide in Jesus. To live mightily with Jesus is to invite him into your life. In John chapter 15, it says that if you abide in me, I abide with you. So that's the mighty with Jesus is that you've abided in him so that he's abiding in you. You can live mighty in Jesus as you abide in him daily, as you find your Sabbath rest in him. And the last point this morning is that you can be mighty with Jesus because he can make you whole. The last narrative that we had this morning came from Luke chapter 6. It says that on another Sabbath, so this is a different day, a different interaction, Jesus enters the synagogue and he's teaching and he invites a man with a withered hand, come stand with me. And he challenges the Pharisees to say, what is the Sabbath for? And what does he do? He makes that man whole. What's interesting with this man with a withered hand, he wasn't in mortal danger, That wasn't something that was going to take his life that day. But it did keep him from being productive. It did keep him from being able to work. So the Pharisees, their view is that man, he can wait to be healed tomorrow. That was what they're thinking. He doesn't have to be healed today. Why do you have to violate the Sabbath by healing that man today? But Jesus is redefining what Sabbath is all about. Is Sabbath about rules? Is it? No. That was never God's intention. Sabbath is about wholeness. Sabbath is about unity with God. And so what does Jesus do? He wants to heal this man's hand so that he can be productive in Jesus' name. And of course, he wants to do it to demonstrate who he is as a son of God. But that's what Jesus does. He heals the man's hand. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of this message that when we came back from Sudan, uh, I was in a place of distress. I really was. Um, questioning God, what is the call that you have on our lives? How are we to fulfill that? Um, we really got put through the ringer the last couple of years. Um, And I don't know about you, but, you know, I I don't necessarily wake up every day feeling like, "Woo! I'm mighty. I'm going to go eat my Wheaties and get on with my day. Do they even have Wheaties anymore? Do they? I haven't seen those. I haven't eaten Wheaties in a long time. Maybe that's my problem. Maybe I need to go back to eating Wheaties. (laughs) I don't think that's the issue. But I don't. I don't know about you, but I'm sure there's a lot of days where you wake up and you don't necessarily feel mighty. You know, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time and you've had some things happen in your life. And you would say, I I don't feel mighty in Jesus' name. I'm not mighty with Jesus. But the good news is this morning, we're in good company. What I want to do is I want to take you back to those guys, those companions of David. Again, I mentioned they weren't really very mighty before they met David. In fact, let's find out where they began. I'm going to look at, uh, this is 1 Samuel chapter 22. It says, so David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. Then others began coming, men who were in trouble, in distress, or in debt, or were just discontented, until David was the captain of about 400 men. How did these mighty men start? They started out as people in distress, people in trouble, people in debt, people in discontent. That's how they began. But of course, that's not how they remained. Once they linked up with David, what happened? They became mighty. And this is how it is with Jesus. Jesus. Jesus refers to this passage for a, very important, for a very important reason, because he knows it's very likely that, that many, many of you maybe came into this place, you came out of routine, but you might be in a place where you're living in distress, you're, you're living in insurmountable debt, or maybe you're in a place of discouragement, a place of discontentment. But as we look at this man who had the withered hand, Jesus says, I can make you whole, I can make you mighty in my name. you need to find your rest in me. You need to abide in me. You need to trust me. You need to fully accept that invitation to follow me. You need to actually wear that new garment. Shed the old garment. Don't put patches on it. Get rid of that old garment. Put on the new garment so that you can live mighty in my name. You are meant to live mighty with Jesus. But if you're not there this morning, I pray that as we're going to close in song here in a minute, that you would embrace who you are in Jesus. As we close in song, I I pray that you could lift up your hands and say, Jesus, I desire that you make me whole today. Help me live mighty in your name so that you can fulfill God's function for your life. Because the enemy would love for you to live in in distress, in debt, and in discontent. The enemy would love for you to stay there. Why? Because then you're not following Jesus by making disciples. That's our definition. Following Jesus is making disciples. But if you're living in one of those three ways, You can't do that. But Jesus says, I desire to make you whole so that you can live mighty in my name and make disciples for my kingdom. That's God's call on your life. And he wants you to live that way today. You can be mighty with Jesus. You absolutely can be mighty with Jesus. I'm gonna invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. I want you to first reflect, where are you at today? Are you a person who's living in distress and debt or discontent? First recognize, you know what? I really am there. But then claim in Jesus' name, I'm not going to stay there today. As we close in song, I'm going to raise my hands and I'm going to worship you, Jesus, and I'm going to say, Jesus, make me whole so I can be mighty in you. Leave from this place mighty in his name. That's his desire for your life. He wants you to be productive in his kingdom. We have that promise in Revelation that one day we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant done infers that there was some doing involved while you were here but to do you have to be mighty and to be mighty you've got to move past a place of distress and debt and discontent so if you're in distress this morning can i encourage you singing song as we as we close can i encourage you to abide i tell you that's what brought us out of the place of discontentment a place of distress as we took extravagant time to abide daily with jesus abide in him if you're in a place of debt Maybe you've not been a good steward of what God has given in the way of resources. Look up Dave Ramsey. He's got great resources so that you can get on top of where you need to be financially to be a good steward. And he's going to lay out for you that part of God's plan for stewardship is tithing. That's called obedient giving. Because what God says, is, if you honor me with 10% to say, God, I trust you. He says, then I will bless the 90% far and above and beyond what you can do with 100%. That's the promise we have in him. So I challenge you, if you're living in debt, look at good financial practices. And if you're in a place of discontentment today, abide in him, worship him, and allow him to remove that from your life. But if you're here today and maybe part of the reason you've never lived mightily for Jesus or with Jesus is because you've never given your life to him. You can't be mighty with Jesus if there is no with Jesus in your life. So if that's you today, but you'd say, you know what? I want to live mighty. I want to live the life that God has for me. I want to change the way that I've been living. With every head bowed here this morning, I just want to ask if that's you today, I want you to raise your hand so I can pray with you before we leave from this place, that you can say, I'm going to walk out mighty in his name. I'm finally going to make that decision to follow Jesus. If that's you, just raise your hand and we'll pray with you before you go. Anybody here today that would say, that's me. I'm not mighty with Jesus because I haven't made that decision to be with Jesus. Somebody over here in the right, anybody else? Somebody else that say, I need to be mighty with Jesus today. I want to follow him. I don't want to live apart from him. I want to make him my all. I want that new garment that he promises. Anybody else here today that say, that's me? The last invitation I'd like to give today, you can look up here to the front. We're going to close in song. Maybe you're in that place of living in distress, discontentment or in debt, but you'd say, I don't want to live that way. How much could your marriage improve if you were living mighty instead of in discontent? What kind of parent could you be if you weren't somebody no longer living in distress, but somebody living mighty with Jesus so that you could lead your kids in that as well? And if that's you today, and you'd say, I need to move out of that place. I'm not going to call you forward, but I simply want to pray with you as we close in song. So with every head bowed here again, if I could ask, if that, you'd say, you know what, that's me. I've been living in distress. I've been living in discontent. I've been living in discouragement, but I don't want to live that way any longer. Simply raise your hand, and I want to pray with you as we transition into song, that God will remove that place from your life. Anybody here today? I see over in the right. Anybody else? Yes, many hands today. Anybody else that say, that's me? The first place you got to start is to recognize, that's where I've been, but I don't want to stay there. Anybody else here today that say, I've been living in distress. I'm in distress right now. Jesus, I just pray that you would touch hearts here today as people have been willing to say, that's me, but I don't want to be there. I want to live as mighty in his name. I pray, Jesus, that you would bring them wholeness today. Lord, I pray that you would help them to be strong in your name. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help them to live a lifetime for you. Lord, I pray that they would walk out of this place understanding the mighty name of uh, the power in your name and the way that they can live for you for a lifetime, God. I pray that you would remove the place of distress. I pray that you would help move people past a place of debt. Lord, I pray for financial provision and wisdom for those that are in need of that today. And God, I pray that if there are those that are in a place of discontentment or discouragement, I pray that you would remove it today in Jesus' name. Lord, may we worship you wholehearted today as we close, knowing, Lord, that you can take it all and turn us into the mighty men and women of God that you call us to be in your name. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen you raise your hand today i know there was at least one if there were others pastor mark would you mind to come forward here a minute and you'd say i want to be mighty with jesus if you don't mind to come forward here this morning we just want to give you a bible information on where you go from here because we want you to be mighty and part of being mighty with jesus is that you're united with the brothers and sisters of the faith thanks for responding today and if there's anybody else that would like to come feel free to come and meet pastor mark and he'll give you a bible and information on where you go from here to live mighty with jesus let's sing today